welcome to That Tech Pod. I'm Gabby Schulte. And I'm Laura Milstein. And today we have a really exciting bonus episode for everybody. Uh, So when Laura and I aren't talking about technology and experts in the tech industry, um, I'm usually bugging Laura about uh, news that I hear about UFOs. Uh, when, when she says usually, <laughs> everyone should know, this happens way more often than you would expect. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, did you hear about this? Uh, they founded the Navy released footage. Uh, so I'm, I'm, yep. I'm just very curious about this. And so I wanted to... St- I convinced Laura to do an episode with me about the tech behind UFOs and now what is being called UAPs, which is actually stands for uh, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. And we have an amazing guest today. I'm so excited to talk to Dr. Uh, Avi Loeb. He is a professor at Harvard. Um, So Avi, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I just wanted to get your take. So basically what's ha- what's for people that aren't um, as nerdy as I am, uh, basically for the first time in roughly 50 years, there's congressional hearings on Capitol Hill about uh, what we're calling UAPs, which is, again, unidentified aerial phenomenon. And uh, basically what's happening is the government is finally recognizing that there is something going on that the military is actually capturing capturing video of. So what is your take about this, Avi? Um, And did I get all of that correct? Yeah, so uh, the government cannot ignore data. um, And the government invests in a lot of sensors that make up uh, a missile warning system that we want to know if uh, any adversary is sending a ballistic missile in our direction. And so there are sensors monitoring the sky. There is a huge amount of money invested in developing the most sophisticated technologies for that purpose. And so uh, the government collects data and uh, they notice things they cannot identify. Now, you might think it's uh, very courageous on on their behalf to admit that they can't figure out what some objects are because it says that they're not really fulfilling their duty. Uh, So that's why it took so long for them to admit it. But eventually, you know, when the number of reports and the quality of the data gets better and better, um, they can't avoid it. Okay, and um, I should say that my interest in the subject uh, as an astronomer came from a completely different direction. Uh, Back in 2005, uh, the US Congress tasked NASA to find all objects bigger than 140 meters, the size of a football field, that may hit the Earth and cause damage to a big city like New York City. Uh, So they wanted uh, NASA to find 90% of those. And so NASA uh, developed uh, this survey telescope uh, called PANSTARS, on Mount Haleakala in Hawaii that surveyed the sky. And in the process of surveying the sky um, uh, over the past uh, decade or so, uh, in 2017, uh, it noticed an object that it gave a high score to as a near earth object. Okay, so then it uh, followed that object. Turned out the object is moving too fast to be bound to the sun. It came from outside the solar system. It moves too fast and it couldn't have been captured or or part of the solar system. So it's the first interstellar object that was reported. Okay. So then the astronomers said, okay, we found it by chance, but in fact, it's probably a comet. Let's call it a comet. 
because we see comets from the outskirts of the solar system visiting the neighborhood of the Earth. And if it came from another star, most likely it was ripped apart from the outskirts of that planetary system. The only problem is it didn't look like a comet. It's as if you go to the zoo and you say, okay, this is a zebra, but then it doesn't have any stripes. So you have to decide what this animal is. So yeah. it didn't look like a comet. There was no cometary tail. Mm-hmm. The, and then it didn't look like an asteroid because it was pushed away from the sun by some mysterious force, not as a result of the rocket effect that the comet has. And then it was also most likely at the 90% confidence flat. Uh, so all of these unusual properties led me to suggest maybe it's an artificial object. Okay, so that was the right. my my introduction to the subject. <laughs> and then with my student, we found that in 2014, there was actually a meteor that was discovered by government uh, sensors. And uh, it was moving so fast when it collided with the Earth that it was definitely unbound to the sun. It was moving at 60 kilometers per second based on our calculation outside of the solar system, moving even faster than stars move relative to the sun. And so um, uh, we suggested it came from outside the solar system. We submitted the scientific paper and then the paper was rejected uh, from publication because the reviewers argued, we don't trust the US government. And I thought to myself, how can they not trust the US government, which needs to know whether a ballistic missile will hit Boston or New York City? You know, obviously the government, uh, you know, has very precise uh, measurements. And as it turns out, you know, I um, spoke with some colleagues of mine that are beyond the uh, national security fence. And um, this process culminated last month where a letter was sent to NASA from the Department of Defense, uh, the U.S. uh, Space Command, stating that with confidence of 99.999%, they um, confirmed the assertion that we made with my student that this object came from outside the solar system, this meteor. Okay, so we know now that the first object discovered was actually in 2014, about almost four years before uh, Oumuamua, this second object in 2017 was found. Hmm. And this one, this meteor was half a meter in size. It exploded in the lower atmosphere. So the government also released the data about the fireball, the, the light that was emitted when this object burned in the uh, Earth's atmosphere. And um, it released it just last month and we analyzed it. We figured that this object must have been made of material that is tougher than iron. So now we are very uh, (laughs) intrigued by this and we are going to um, make an expedition to to scoop the ocean floor near Papua New Guinea where this meteor hit. Mm-hmm. Um, about 100 miles off uh, the coast of uh, Manus Island. And we will go with a ship and scoop the, the ocean floor and uh, collect the fragments and try to figure out what this object was made of. So what I'm saying is the first two objects um, that came from outside the solar system look unusual. I mean, they look, do, not, do not look like the typical rocks that we have seen because This object was tougher than iron. Only 5% of all space rocks from the solar system are iron meteorites. It's clearly unusual. It was moving very fast. So both objects, Oumuamua and this meteor, are unusual. You know, maybe we just didn't realize something important about our cosmic environment, our cosmic neighborhood. Perhaps there is a smarter kid on our block. 
I love the way that you put that, that perhaps there's a smarter kid on our block. Um, I have a, an important follow-up question for you. Are you looking for volunteers for that expedition? Because I would love to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I can uh, guarantee one thing that you will hear back from us once we... Okay. Uh, you know, find the fragments. And yeah. um, uh, it's very exciting in the sense that, you know, I'm curious, just like a kid, I want to figure out the answer. But while doing so, I face a lot of pushback from colleagues in academia. Uh, for example, in the context of Oumuamua, there was a group of people that came together and published a review paper in the prestigious Nature Astronomy magazine saying, this object is natural, period. They declared it by authority. And then a few months later, a team of scientists suggested, well, you know, it look, there are some anomalies about this object. Maybe to explain them, we need a hydrogen iceberg. And then another team a few months later said, no, 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 it's a dust bunny. It's a collection of dust particles in a cloud, a hundred times less dense than air. And then a few months later, another team came together and said, now we know the answer. It was a nitrogen iceberg uh, that was chipped off the surface of a planet like Pluto. And everyone cheered. Yeah, it's a nitrogen iceberg. So I say to myself, how is it possible that the first group of people said, the experts, so quote unquote, said it must be natural. And then it took months and months for people to come with different explanations that, are, that were not anticipated by this group. It just shows that people have resistance. Experts want to demonstrate that they know how to explain anything that is found. So if they worked for right. decades on rocks in the sky, that's their expertise, they will explain anything in the sky as being a rock, even if it requires a rock of a type that we've never seen before. And to me, it resembles a cave dweller finding a cell phone. The cave dweller will immediately say, oh, it's a rock of a type that I've never seen before. But of course, if the cave dweller is modest enough not to claim that he is an expert uh, and just press a button and record his voice, he would realize it's not a rock. So the key is really to maintain your childhood curiosity, not to assume you know the answer in advance, not to pretend that you are an expert. Mm -hmm. uh, because my biggest uh, you know, frustration as a kid was at the dinner table asking a difficult question and then the adults in the room would dismiss the question because they didn't know the answer to it. And I felt so bad after those encounters with the adults in the room that I decided to become a scientist. Hmm. Uh, and can, sorry, Gabby, just real quick. I noticed that you called Pluto a planet. Is Pluto a planet again? Is it not a planet? Because I feel like there's been so many conflictions here where it's like we have the planet Pluto. Pluto is now no longer a planet. Pluto is a planet again. Pluto is not a planet. Where is Pluto a planet again? I just have okay. to ask that. So uh, the astronomers had a lengthy discussion about this and demoted uh, Pluto for not being a planet. But uh, from my perspective, it's completely esoteric. It's completely irrelevant. Who cares? You know, like you have an object, you can decide that below a certain size, it's not a planet, but you know, it's just a labeling scheme. That's the yeah. shallowest discussion you can have about an object. It's just like, you know, uh, judging a book by its cover. Right. I mean, it's the shallowest yeah. thing that you can say, okay, 
this object belongs to the club or doesn't belong to the club. You know, I don't care. Frankly, I don't care. Uh, there are objects of all sizes and distances yeah. from the sun. I just want to know what they are in the solar system, <laughs> what you call them. Who cares? You heard it here first on that tech pod. Um, I don't know if Pluto's a planet or not. Uh, who cares? Who cares? Uh, you know what I care about? <laughs> um, you know, actually, so I'm curious. Why do you think the pushback? I mean, you you mentioned modesty from from other scientists and having like the humility to recognize that. Yeah, maybe I don't understand everything that's going on in my field. Um, but what do you do? You think that that might be changing? Like that societal. Uh, pushback might be changing, especially with these hearings going on. Is that a positive side that we're seeing or is it kind of maybe, okay, everybody will do this hearing and now you can shut up for a while because we did this? No, no, no. It's definitely a very positive sign, but I should say we should distinguish. There are three components here. One is government. By the way, government is the adult in the room because they need to worry about real concerns. You know, they have the biggest budget. They have to worry about national security. These are serious matters. You know, you have to worry about the safety of the military people that are involved about the safety of the United States. So they, it's serious matter. They can't just play around. Okay. So, but then you have the second component, which is academia. Okay. And the third component is the public. Now, uh, it's really interesting that the public is very excited about this issue, not just you, but the public in general. Uh, people want to know what these objects are. They are curious to know if there are others in our cosmic neighborhood. So that's one of the most exciting questions that will change the future of humanity if we find a positive answer to, okay? And then... Um, the government, interestingly enough, is now discussing seriously the possibility that some objects that we can't really uh, figure out might be of the other category. What is strange to me is that academia is lagging behind. You would expect people in academia to be the most open-minded. Why? Because they're supposed to explore the unknown. They're supposed to discover new things. They are, they have tenure, you know, professors like myself have tenure. We don't have job security issue. So why is it that this subject is ridiculed? Why is it that I get so much pushback from my colleagues for just suggesting to put on the table this possibility and explore by evidence, whether it's real or not? You know, why is that so uh, problematic to people? I mean, after all, if you look at the mainstream, of physics and astronomy, we are doing a lot of speculative things. They're much more speculative than this thing because we know that we sent out Voyager New Horizons. We can imagine that another civilization did that. That's not so speculative because we know that half of the sun-like stars have a planet the size of the Earth, roughly the same separation, and most stars like the sun formed billions of years before the sun. So it's very natural to ask, are there others that did it? you know, what we are doing right now. But in the mainstream of academia, physics and astronomy, you find people 
you know, for example, contemplating extra dimensions that we've never seen. That's part of the mainstream. People get honors, awards. They are they uh, as a result of discussing those. We don't have any evidence for that. People discuss the multiverse. We don't have any evidence for that. People discuss um, specific types of dark matter. We don't know what most of the matter in the universe is. We invested billions of dollars in searching for 40 years. We haven't found anything. I say, if we invest now billions of dollars in the search for technological equipment from another civilization, and for 40 years, we don't find anything, we would be at exactly the same point as dark matter searchers are right now. And they are part of the mainstream. So how can academia shy away from a question that is of great great interest to the public and the public funds science? And moreover, now, after the hearing, it's also a question of interest to the government. So to me, this it's scary. obvious. You're yeah. scaring me. I'm going to have some sci-fi nightmares from this. And I just want you to know, as you were going on, I was just like, I am so scared. I'm so excited. Is this a movie? Is this real life? I can't go to sleep tonight. Well, you know, um, I once um, was invited uh, by my daughter to go to the to her, uh, the kindergarten to speak to her class and about black holes. And oh. um, one of the kids asked me, so what will happen to me if I fall into a black hole? And I started <laughs> describing it uh, realistically. I said, you know, if the black hole is big enough, you can cross the horizon. Nothing bad will happen to you. But then as you get close to the singularity, your body will be ripped apart because the force on your toes will be very different from the force on your head. And at that point, the the teacher said, please don't speak about that because the kids <laughs> will have nightmares. Now, you have to understand, you know, I don't like science fiction. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoy doing science. I enjoy also reading fiction. But um, whatever I tell you is part of scientific you know, practice and, you know, what black holes do to the human body, if you get close to the singularity is unavoidable. You can't avoid it. You better know about it so that you never get into a black hole. Okay. That's that. If there is a travel agency that sells you tickets to visit the black hole at the center of the Milky Way, now that we have an image of it, don't buy it. It's a one-way trip and you won't survive the journey. Uh, but or the, you know, depending on where you are in life, we support you through your adventure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I highly recommend to my colleagues that work on string theory to test their theory <laughs> because there is no other test by going in uh, close to the singularity, and they claim that I have a hidden agenda sending them there. Oh. Uh, but I should say, um, you know, that the idea of finding technological equipment. Uh, is not necessarily threatening uh, if we find it from another civilization. It could be educational. For example, you know, we could learn from them. We could import technologies that would take us a million years to develop ourselves. Uh, like imagine finding iPhone 30. You can, you know, imagine what it can do. Yeah, like, what it would, that would be it exciting. Would be like, I think it would be just like a, a cell that would just be injected into your <laughs> At that point, like iPhone 30, like I don't even, I don't even know how, what it would be. At yeah, that but, but it's fun because, okay, if they wanted to kill us, they would have done it long ago, long before we developed our current science and technology. So in my mind, we are just like ants on, on the sidewalk. You know, the pedestrian doesn't really care. Uh, the ants may decide what protocol to follow and so forth. But if a pedestrian walks down the street, 
you know, that pedestrian can step on them or not, but they are completely irrelevant. So as far as I'm concerned, we're probably in the middle of our class of intelligent civilizations. You know, I tell students at Harvard on the first day of class, I say to them, half of you are below the median of the class because that's the way a median is defined. You know, in statistics, in every class, half of the students are below the median. And of course, the students at Harvard have a difficult time accepting that because all of them believe that they belong to the top 1%. But right. the truth is that half of them are below the median of the class. And the same is true for our civilization. We are probably in the middle somewhere. Mm-hmm. I have um, probably a, a dumb question. So a friend, uh, <laughs> a friend of mine, when we get into like these kind of conversations, he likes to posit this scenario. So I'm curious what you think, what your answer would be. So he says, um, you know, if, if aliens came to earth, you know, hypothetically, uh, would we be able to defend ourselves against them? And he's, he's saying, well, actually I want to see what you, you would say. Yeah. So that's a great question. I'm, I'm into this. So one thing to recognize is we, we never thought about this question seriously. Uh, we thought about how to respond to a radio signal from a distant star. And, you know, it takes thousands of years for light to arrive to us from most of the stars in the Milky Way galaxy. Okay, so we will have plenty of time to decide how to respond to that. That doesn't require any immediate response. But if you have a piece of equipment, a functioning equipment, uh, you know, close to Earth, that's just like having a stranger in your backyard. You have to respond immediately. And we don't have a protocol for that. The first question is, who represents humanity? We don't have an organization. We don't have a protocol. And I'm worried more about, you know, even outside of this organization, there would be someone somewhere that will decide to do whatever they want and uh, could engage with such an object. And that, of course, could endanger the rest of humanity. (laughs) So um, it's a very serious policy issue. And nobody attended to that. Um, and we don't have a decision, you know, that agreed uh, is agreed upon by all nations because we keep fighting with each other over borders, over our egos. And, you know, humans are really very focused on uh, fighting with each other. You know, we waste yeah. a lot of resources <laughs> of trying to feel superior relative to each other. Uh, as I said before, even in academia, you know, tr- uh, the, the entire ob- objective is to satisfy your ego, to get honors and awards by demonstrating that you are smart. But whether it has to, whether it explains reality or not is a secondary question. Uh, If you can show that you are smart in a sandbox of mathematical gymnastics, you know, like that you are just exploring the consequences of extra dimensions that we, we don't have any clue that they exist, that's good enough for academia. You can also ask the question, how many angels can dance on the tip of a pin? And if everyone agrees, that's a very important question. You can do it in, in 10 dimensions and show that you are smart. So my, my sense is that we lost the compass. The compass is really trying to is explain reality. And when the government says we don't understand something, that's exactly the point where scientists should come to help government mm-hmm. and figure out the nature of these objects. When astronomers find the first interstellar objects and they look weird, everyone should say, wow, that's intriguing. Let's put a lot of resources, more than we put towards the search of dark matter, because it has huge implications. So so just one more question, or maybe two, if we have time. But um, 
I wanted to just ask, oh, where where was I? Well, first, have you have you seen? Oh, my question to to what you just said was, um, are you seeing any people in academia maybe being willing to help government officials? Because basically, the the takeaway that I heard from the hearings today is that there weren't very many revelations, but government officials are taking the mysterious objects that they can't explain seriously and they want to study them uh, scientifically. So do you know of any efforts from academia um, like kind of matching that seriousness? Or, I mean, obviously there's the Galileo project, which you're welcome to talk about. Um, but yeah, any, any other from besides yourself? Yeah. So the Galileo project now has more than a hundred members and it's a serious attempt to uh, collect new data because, you know, we can wait for the government to declassify sensitive information, but that's just like waiting for Godot, you know, the, the play of Samuel Beckett. Um, you can wait forever. Uh, and so what we are planning to do is build telescope systems that will be uh, placed in different uh, locations and collect our own data because the sky is not classified and uh, analyze it with the best uh, software, artificial intelligence, machine learning, to figure out the nature of objects in the sky. And um, this is the first um, scientific project where, where um, we build our own instruments, uh, telescope systems. If you were to use an existing uh, astronomical observatory, it's not geared to this task because it's focused on very distant sources. Here we want to monitor objects moving in, in the, the Earth's atmosphere. Uh, and uh, for that, we developed uh, new instrumentation. And so what I would say is just wait a year and we will start having interesting data. We are currently assembling the first telescope system on the roof of the Harvard College Observatory, and we'll make copies of it and distribute them in various locations. At the same time, we are conducting this expedition to the uh, ocean um, near Papua New Guinea to find the fragments left over from the first interstellar meteor. And we are also designing a space mission to rendezvous with the next Oumuamua, the next object that comes from interstellar space that would look weird. Um, and the dating app for that uh, is called the Vera Rubin Observatory. That's a a survey telescope that will start operations in a year and will be much more powerful than the telescope discovered Oumuamua uh, pan stars in Hawaii. Uh, and um, it will have 3.2 billion pixels in its camera. And we plan to search for objects like Oumuamua. Uh, most of them we will swipe to the left, but uh, one of them we might decide to rendezvous with and take a close-up photograph of because, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. Yes. In my, in my case, I should say pictures were 66,000 words, the number of words in my book, uh, Extraterrestrial. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I was going to point people to, uh, if you were interested in learning more about Amuamua and uh, Dr. Loeb's work, you should definitely pick up um, your book. Can you tell us where people can find it and what the name is? The name is Extraterrestrial, and uh, you can find it anywhere where books are sold. It was translated to 25 languages and uh, became awesome. bestseller in, in many countries. Well, that's so exciting. I have I have one more question. This is more anecdotal. Um, 
before I leave you. So uh, have you said you didn't you don't like science fiction, but have you ever seen the movie? It's called Don't Look Up. Yes, I did. What did you think about that? <laughs> well, I thought uh, that it was very interesting in the sense that uh, it portrays quite um, reliably the lack of seriousness in, in, mm-hmm. in the general public, in, in, in government, in academia as well, um, for uh, news that are not uh, complying with our expectations. And, uh, you know, that's a fault of human nature. And uh, we better uh, pay more attention to uh, uh, intriguing facts. And uh, because, you know, we never witnessed um, a situation that changes uh, our uh, future dramatically. And if we don't uh, take care of our environment, you know, that, uh, that may bring our demise if we don't pay attention to unusual things in the sky, that may also bring our demise. Just keep in mind the dinosaurs, they were eating grass and enjoying uh, being dominant on earth 66 million years ago until a giant rock fell from the sky, the size of Manhattan Island, and it tarnished their ego trip. And for us, it may not be a giant rock because we do look for that, but it may be something else. And uh, You know, we should be smart enough uh, to pay attention uh, and look up. There you go. Yeah, I I really, really liked that movie. I thought uh, when you were talking about humans are um, so preoccupied with arguing with each other, it made me think of that movie because I think... If anything, it portrayed definitely that very well. Um, and I really liked that movie. So, uh, Avi, thank you so much for your time and coming on today. Uh, really enjoyed this discussion. Same here. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you.